Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be covering chapter 18 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 180 to 197. The title of the chapter is Jesus and the Law of Moses. The reader portion of the program is 31 minutes long. Let's get into the reading, and then after the reading, we'll get into the commentary portion of the program, and we'll open up the phone lines. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and there's a chat room available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon. Fundamentally Mormon goes live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time until 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Thank you for listening. Jesus and the Law of Moses, Chapter 18 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 180 to 197 till heaven and earth pass. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Lord, till all be fulfilled. Matt 5.18 The first verse of the New Testament speaks of that generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matt 1. 1. Reading this genealogy, we learn that Christ descended from at least two polygamists. There can be no doubt that many of those who listened to Christ's teachings were also polygamists. If it has been a heinous sin, then Christ would surely have spoken against it. Furthermore, if Christ came to sustain the laws of God, he would have obeyed them himself. Paul said that Christ also came under the law. Garlands 4, 5, Jesus portrayed the role of an obedient servant rather than a lawgiver. For instance, on one occasion he refused to interfere with the law in determining the question of private property. See Luke 12:13-14. nor would he make any judgment against the law concerning adultery. See John 8. 7. It is also a fact that he never made any laws or decrees against the laws of polygamy. If Jesus abrogated or disposed of the law of Moses, and then established a new set of laws, then, 181, he is not the true Messiah. But on the contrary, Jesus constantly defended, quoted from, and sustained those ancient scriptures, and his apostles did the same. James referred to them as that royal law according to the scripture. James 2, 8, Paul said that, whatsoever things were written after a time were written for our learning. 
by that inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine. said anyone who would rest those scriptures would do it under their own destruction. 2 Peter 3.16 Jesus and his apostles were adhering to the law and the Old Testament then dash not trying to implement a new law. Reverend Madden explains, the New Testament was not to introduce a new law concerning this or anything else. Nothing is to be found there which was not in the Old Testament, only as to the manner the matter is one and the same. Otherwise, how could Paul derive any strength to his argument, Gallons 3.10, by citing the sanction of the old law to prove the necessity of salvation by grace? If the law be in a single instance altered or changed in one single point, how can it be said by an inspired apostle of Christ, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them? Torah, P. 123. Several points should be mentioned here to establish that Jesus did not do away with the law of Moses, nor try to originate a new set of laws. 182. 1. Jesus came not to destroy the law. At the beginning of his ministry, Christ said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matt 5.17 However, it will often be heard that Jesus did destroy or do away with those laws. But to add anything to that law, or to take anything away from it, was a sin. God said, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Jude 4, 2 If Christ would have taken anything away from the law, then we must condemn him with the transgressors. To suppose that the law of Christ was opposed to or supplanted the law of Moses, is just what Muhammad did, so he could replace it with the Quran. Christ gave no new meaning to any of the commandments or laws. He only clarified, expanded and vindicated the law and commandments. What was murder then, was still murder. What was theft, adultery or sinful was still the same. There was no repeal to the laws of Moses in the New Testament. The laws of God's kingdom end dash on earth or in heaven and dash are as unchangeable as God himself. They are the unalterable rules of his moral government over all his creatures. And time, place or age cannot change their obligation. When Jesus said that he came not to destroy the law, it seems irrational that men today say that he did. 183, 2. There is one lawgiver and one law. The Apostle James tells us that there is one lawgiver, James 4.12, and therefore there can be only one law. The laws of God are not changeable with the calendar or with the whims of men. Where there is one system of law, there can be only one kind of reward. Two different sets of laws produce two different effects or results. 
If you plant beans every year, and then one year plant potatoes, you cannot expect that the harvest will be the same beans. If the laws of Christ contradict the laws of Moses, then we must be suspicious of one or the other. One must be true and the other false. Both sides of a contradiction cannot be correct. In the last book of the Old Testament the Lord spoke to the prophet Malachi and said, And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow, and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. I change not. Mal 3, 5-6 In the Revelation God reaffirms all points of the old law. He also assures us that men will be accountable for violating them, and that they will not be changed. Then in the last part of the last book of the Old Testament, the Lord said, 184 Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statues and judgments. Now, 4, 4, this certainly indicates that God had no intention of shortly making a substitution in his laws to Moses. God's law was meant to continue without change or deletion. 3, God's laws are forever. Moses gave no indication that God's law was going to be changed. He told the children of Israel, Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Jude 29, 29, and again Moses wrote, These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it, all the days that ye live upon the earth. Jude 12, 1. We are still living upon the earth, so the statutes and judgments are still binding and unchanged. The Lord also confirmed this by saying, Oh, that there was such an heart in them, that they would fear me, and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them, and with their children forever. Jude 5, 29, 185, the reason these laws, statutes and judgments are still binding upon man is because they are forever in their nature. These are moral laws. They govern right and wrong, virtue and vice. God does not suddenly change virtue into a vice because of a time zone. The Mosaic Code of Laws is called a perpetual law and is described as such in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in Joshua. Most of the following descriptions of these laws were given by David. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalms 19, 9 the commandment of the Lord is pure. Psalms 19, 8. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. Psalms 145, 
1-7. He's the rock. His work is perfect. Jude. 32-4. The statutes of the Lord are right. Psalms 19-8. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Psalms 119-140. The Lord, the Lord is perfect. Psalms 19-7. God's first commandment to Israel was to have no other gods before him which simply means that man should not obey any law or commandment other than those which he gave to Moses. Christians must believe that the law came from him who changes not, and in whom there is no shadow of turning. To obey any different law means to obey a different God. Conversely, if Jesus taught different laws than those in the Old Testament, then he is a different God, to whom we are commanded not to obey or serve. 186, if the word of the Lord is pure and perfect, then to change it can certainly make it impure and imperfect. If it is perfect, why would Jesus want to change it? Paul the Apostle saw no reason to change it, for he wrote, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Rom. also endeavor to establish the law and dash not do away with it. Reverend Madden says, I am told that sin is a transgression of the law. When I hear it asserted that polygamy is sinful, I consult the law. If it be forbidden there, I agree to the sinfulness of it. If not forbidden there, but allowed, I find myself reduced to this dilemma and dash either the asserter of such a proposition, who says he takes it from the New Testament, is mistaken, which is probable, or the New Testament must contradict the law, which is impossible. Philip Tara, P. 251, 4. Christ advocated, not abrogated, the laws of Moses. If Christ advocated the laws of Moses, there must be written evidence that he did so. The following quotations show that Christ did, in fact, teach the law of Moses to the people. 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Matt. 23. 1-3, 187, 2. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Luke 16:29, 3. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Luke 16:31, 4. Have you believed Moses? You would have believed me for he wrote of me. But if he believe not his writings, how shall he believe my words? John 5, 46-47, 5. Did not Moses give the Lord, and yet none of you keepeth the law? John 7, 19. When the devil came to Jesus to tempt him, 
he presented three temptations. On all three allurements, Jesus responded by saying, It is written, and then quoted from Old Testament laws. The lawyers, scribes and Pharisees were always plotting ways to trap Jesus for not observing the laws of Moses. But in every instance Jesus proved that he did observe them. In such instances it would have been the most opportune time for Jesus to say that he came to introduce a new set of laws, or that he did not sustain the old ones. Instead he advocated the laws of Moses in every instance and rebuked them for not living these laws themselves. 188. The functions of scribes have varied considerably, but in general they were interpreting the law for the common people. Much of their obligation was to interpret the law of Moses so that it could function in the civil and religious lives of the people. The scribe was essentially an interpreter of the law. Scribes were among those who many times challenged Jesus on his statements or conduct which they thought were at variance from the laws of Moses. But in no instance did they prove Jesus' teachings contrary to those laws. 189.5 The Lord Moses was a schoolmaster. Paul wrote many epistles which Peter said were hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. 2 Peter 3.16 In one of the epistles of Paul, he wrote, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Gallons. 3, 24-25 It is apparently the contention of most ministers today that Paul was saying that after faith is come, we are no longer under the law of Moses. If that is what they conclude, then it means that by accepting faith in Christ, we are no longer obligated to keep the laws and commandments of Moses. By faith in Christ, man could commit adultery, steal, profane the Sabbath, dishonor his parents, or even murder. Any fool should know better than that. Paul was saying that by studying the law, as a schoolmaster, we are brought to the acceptance of Christ. This is reasonable and understandable, because he had just previously written that, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Gallants. 3. Also written, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Rom. 2. 13. When you have studied a grammar book of the alphabet and learn how to read, you no longer need a book, because you know and understand it. But, 190, that does not mean that you throw away the alphabet or the principles of grammar. Paul is saying that when you learn the law, it brings you to Christ, and you are no longer a student in learning about Christ. The Ten Commandments were given to bring us to Christ, but now that we have Christ, it does not mean that we throw those commandments away. Neither are we so foolish as to believe that polygamy was a schoolmaster to show us how to live monogamy. 
the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of Moses were the same. Paul wrote that the scriptures of the Old Testament are able to make thee wise unto salvation. 2 Tim 3.15 If they are able to give us an understanding of salvation, then it is because they contain the laws of salvation. No man can be wise unto salvation without a knowledge of the laws that govern salvation. Paul also said that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. See Galatians 3, 8, if Abraham was to gain heaven, and Jesus said so, then Paul was teaching the same gospel that Abraham received. Paul confirmed this by saying, for unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Heb. 4, 2, less than some of the children of Israel greater than he said that, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. 2 Cor. 4, 13. Paul conclusively proved that the Israelites had the gospel when he wrote his first lecture to the Corinthians and said, 191. All passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I call. 10, 1-4. God intended that all men should be judged by the same laws and the same principles of salvation. 7. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Christ. The Apostle John wrote, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1.17 Was he saying that Jesus Christ did not honor or have law? Or did he imply that those who had the law of Moses did not have grace or truth? Those who interpret in this way are setting a variance the Old Testament against the New Testament. This has led them into a contradictory and inconsistent maze of disorders. Too often ministers proclaim the precepts of Christ, but fail to realize their foundation was on the ancient law. But God is not so short-sighted as to establish one set of laws for one time and another set for another people, and all be received in the same heaven. Christ made the atonement for which grace could save mankind from their sins. John merely mentions these two great epochs and the men who established them. Moses gave the law. Christ made the grace of God effective. There is no contradiction. Paul confirms this by saying, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Rom. 192 is the God of the Christians the same God of the Old Testament? Or is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob different from the God in the New Testament? There is too much evidence to prove that their gospel was the same, their laws were the same, and their God was the same. 8. Search the scriptures. 
when Jesus told the Jews to search the scriptures, John 5.39, he was referring to the laws of Moses. Furthermore, at the beginning of his ministry, he said, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matt 5, 19, he was again referring to the law and the commandments of the ancient scriptures. Neither did he ever change his viewpoint after this. He constantly defended these scriptures and appealed to the people to read them. The Jews watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. Luke 20.20, it was evident that on this, and many other occasions, the Pharisees were attempting to trap Jesus by forcing him to disagree with the Old Testament law. They were trying to entangle him in his talk, Matt. 22.15, so they could represent him as an enemy of the law of Moses. 193, but Jesus defended and admonished them to study and obey the scriptures. He helped to explain illustrated interpret the scriptures, but never contradicted them. In his great sermon on the mount, Jesus referred to the ancient scriptures nearly ten times in dash not revealing the doctrines, but rather amplifying them. 9. Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ did not fulfill the law by doing away with it. The Ten Commandments were just as much in force after Christ as they were before. For instance, the man who commits murder has not kept the commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Matt 5, 21-22 This does not imply that Christ meant to substitute a different law, nor do away with the law against murder. Christ continued in verses 27 and 28, You'll have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. His words, but I say unto you, did not mean he was replacing the law. He was attempting to help men avoid the inclinations of the mind which result in the breaking of those commandments. By avoiding the thoughts of avarice, or lust, or whatever, a man could avoid the acts which led to breaking the commandments. The people were still obligated to observe the commandments and dash but with more diligence. 194, when a young man came to Jesus, and asked what he must do to gain eternal life, it was the perfect opportunity for Jesus to explain his new law, if he had one. But Jesus repeated the old law by saying, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, 
and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Matt 18-19. These instructions were from the Lord Moses. Yeah. 20 and Jude. 5. The reference to love thy neighbor as thyself was a quote from the old law in Leviticus 19.18. When the young man replied that he had done these things since his youth, Jesus gave him a final requirement about giving to the poor. This, too, was written by Moses in the law. See Jude 15.7-8. Also P.S. 41. One, everything Jesus taught was a repetition of and enlargement upon what had been written before. If Jesus had changed God's law, he would have been guilty of a gross sin, wherein God had said, Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Jude 12.32 See also Jude 4. Two, it is for this reason that Jesus could not condemn polygamy, nor allow adultery, for both taking away and adding to the law were sins. 10. Old and New Testament marriage laws were the same. Ceremonial statutes given to Moses are not to be construed as a part of moral or marriage laws. Ritualistic, emblematical, Symbolical ceremonies are not necessarily a requirement of the marriage covenant. The offerings and sacrifices of lambs, 195, doves, etc., were made as emblems of the great sacrifice of Christ. Many of those symbolical rituals were typified when Jesus hung on the cross. These had nothing to do with marriage, divorce, or adultery and dash, nor did they have a part of virtue or vice. Animal sacrifices were no longer a necessity because Christ became the final sacrifice. The Sabbath day was no longer the last day of the week, but the first. But this did not change the honoring of the Sabbath as a commandment. Circumcision was no longer a necessity because the promises had been fulfilled. All of these rituals, rites, and observances could be more fulfilled and could be changed, but not the moral laws. Some argue that polygamy, like these rituals, was allowed by God for the Israelites, but that it was forbidden to the Christians. This argument is no better than to say that the people in Old Testament times were men and women, but the Christians were not. Or, if the Christians are humans, then what were they before? Sexual sins were forbidden in the Old Testament just as they were in the New. Christ did not make any changes in moral or marriage laws. When parents catch a child as stealing, they do not allow the child to continue stealing and then when he grows up, they tell him it is wrong. Neither did God allow polygamy to be practiced for 4,000 years and then tell the people they were mature enough to now stop because it was wrong. We read in the scriptures that we should train up a child in the way he should go. Prove 22, 6, and to bring up children in the nurture and admoni 196, shun of the Lord. If 6, 
Therefore, this same rule applies to a nation. God gave explicit directions for the nation of Israel and established laws that were to govern it. When Jesus came, he did not tell them that the rules were to be changed because the people were better or educated enough to now learn new rules and laws. The historian Josephus said that it was the custom of the Jews to have a plurality of wives and dash a custom that came from their fathers. If polygamy were practiced at the time of Jesus, then he would have condemned it if it were wrong. Nowhere did he replace that custom or law with a new law, nor condemn the old law. Let anyone take a Bible concordance and look up the word adultery, and there will not be a single instance where it applies to polygamy in any part of the Old or New Testament. We must understand two points concerning the law and polygamy. The first is that the Old Testament law did not forbid polygamy, and the second is that the New Testament did not make any changes in those marriage laws of Moses. The Apostle Peter said, The word of the Lord endureth forever, 1 Peter 1.25, which is also what Moses said. Those things which are revealed belong unto us unto our children forever. If the Christians of today would believe this, they would not become celibate monks, nuns, and priests. There wouldn't be a thousand contending churches, hermits, lonely widows, or as many illegitimate children. 197. As mentioned in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus said that it would be easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the Lord to fail. Luke 16:17. On still another occasion he said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the Lord, till all be fulfilled. Matt 5:18. A jot and tittle are the smallest marks that are made in Hebrew writings. It would be similar to a dot over an the cross on a T. If Jesus declares that there will not be that much change in the law, it seems inconceivable that students of the scriptures and ministers can think that the whole law has been changed. 198, chapter 19, The Marriage at Cana Okay, so that was the reading portion of the program. Now we'll get into the commentary portion of the program, which I expect is going to go all the way up to and probably past 8 o'clock. If we do go into overdrive, in order to listen to the full program, you have to call in to the guest call-in number, which is 917-889-8827. Or you can listen to this when it posts to iTunes later on tonight and you can find that at iTunes uh, by searching Fundamentally Mormon and you can find that also at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon so once again the chat room is open at, open at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon and the guest call in number is 917 
8827. Thank you for listening. Jesus and the Law of Moses, Chapter 18 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 180 to 197. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law or the Torah till all be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. The first verse of the New Testament speaks of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Reading this genealogy, we can learn that Christ descended from at least two polygamists. There can no doubt, there can be no doubt that many of those who listened to Christ's teachings were also polygamists. If it had been a heinous sin, then Christ would surely have spoken against it. Furthermore, if Christ came to sustain the laws of God, he would have obeyed them himself. Paul said that Christ also came under the law, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Jesus portrayed the role of an obedient servant rather than a lawgiver. For instance, on one occasion he refused to interfere with the law in determining the question of a private property. See Luke chapter 12 verses 13 and 14. Nor would he make any judgments against the law concerning adultery. See John chapter 8, verse 7. It is also a fact that he never made any laws or decrees against the law of polygamy or the laws of polygamy. If Jesus abrogated or disposed of the law of Moses and then established a new set of laws, then he is not the true Messiah. But on the contrary, Jesus consistently defended, quoted from, and sustained those ancient scriptures, and his apostles did the same. James referred to them as a royal law according to scripture. James chapter 2, verse 8. Paul said that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and were given by the inspiration of God and were profitable for doctrine. See 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Peter said anyone who would rest those scriptures would do it unto their own destruction. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus and his apostles were adhering to the law of the Old Testament, not trying to implement a new law. Reverend, Reverend Madanan, or Madden explains, quote, The New Testament was not to introduce a new law concerning this nor anything else. Nothing is to be found there which was not in the Old Testament, only as to the manner, the matter is one and the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have to remember that during the life of Christ, there was no New Testament. 
there were no Gospels. He was teaching everything that he taught because he learned it from Torah. Well, he actually was the angel of Jehovah that gave it at Mount Sinai, but he taught, he taught everything he taught was from the Old Testament. Anyway, continuing on. Otherwise, how could Paul derive any strength to his argument in Galatians 3.10 by citing the sanction of the old law to pro- prove the necessity of salvation by grace? If the law be in a single instance altered or changed in one single point, how can it be said by an inspired apostle of Christ, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law and to do them. And that is from the book of Theophoria, page 123. Several points should be mentioned here to establish that Jesus did not do away with the law of Moses, nor try to, nor try to originate a new set of laws. Or on page 182, for those of you who are following along. Number one, Jesus came not to destroy the law. At the beginning of his ministry, Christ said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the the Torah, or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And once again, in Hebrew, the Hebrew mindset, to fulfill the law means to live it perfectly, which Jesus Christ did as an example of how we should live. Continuing on, however, it will be often heard that Jesus did destroy or do away with those laws, but to add anything to that law or to take away anything from it was a sin. God said, quote, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you. uh, Devarim, or Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 2. So basically what that scripture means is that you cannot or you shall not add to the Torah or take anything away from it. Now the Deuteronomists, they added many things and they took many things away and things have been corrupted. But this was unlawful for them to do. And Jesus understood the true Torah, and he taught from the true Torah, not all of the additional stuff that they added, like the Mishnah and the Talmud and all that fun stuff. Anyway, continuing on, if Christ would have taken an... Oh, i got to say something about that lady that called yesterday. Oh, my gosh. She was like, I was, she's all, I've read the Talmud, and I'm like, you've read all of the volumes of the Talmud? Well, I thought there were 28. There's actually over 70 volumes, and they're not thin books. They are thick books. Each volume is thick. And, like, you can get them on Amazon for 2700 to $3,000, which, by the way, if I had $2,700 to spare, I would buy them. I would love it. I mean, I think that all that stuff is fun. 
uh, fun reading from all the different rabbis and all their different opinions and thoughts on things. I enjoy the rabbis today, like Tovia Singer and Stuart Federo and all of the ones that I enjoy. Um, and there's a bunch of them. But, and I learn from them, and I'm happy to hear what they have to say on things. Um, just because I'm interested in that sort of stuff. But anyway, but that lady said, oh, I've read the Talmud. And I'm like, she, I think that she thought that it was a single book. And then she said that she was Jewish, which I thought was funny because if you're Jewish, you should know what the Talmud is. Um, but then she said she was a Protestant Christian. And when my wife asked her what denomination she She's like, I'm a Protestant. I'm like, okay, which one? Because there's a lot of different Protestant denominations and she couldn't name any. So I think that she was just an ignorant person trying to, um, I don't know, argue, I guess. I'm not even sure what she was trying to do. Anyway, continuing on. If Christ would have taken anything away from the law or the Torah, then we must condemn him with the transgressors to suppose that the law of Christ was opposed to or supplanted the law of Moses is just what Muhammad did, so he could replace it with the Quran. Christ gave no new meaning to any of the commandments or laws. He only clarified, expanded, and vindicated the laws and commandments. What was murder then was still murder. What was theft or adultery or sinful was still the same. There was no repeal to the laws of Moses in the New Testament. The laws of the kingdom of God on earth or in heaven are as unchangeable as God himself. They are an unalterable rules. They are unalterable rules of his moral government over all creation and time, place or age, and cannot change their obligation. When Jesus said that he came not to destroy the law, it seems irrational that men today say that he did. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so we're on page 183. Um, what I find interesting is that the moral laws that he gave are still applicable, but he did fulfill certain things like he paid the sacrifice for sin by a blood atonement he became the lamb sacrificed at the altar and his blood covers us and makes our sins as white as snow makes us clean and pure through the sanctification of his atonement so um and there's some other things, too, like the law of circumcision. I believe that that was for a time. That was something... It's kind of like Jesus talked about not buying wine or strong drink but uh, for sacrament, which, by the way, strong drink is like hard liquor, which you could use, and there's a reason for that. He never said use water. Everybody says water, but there's no place in that revelation that says water. But... The reason for the commandment was because people were poisoning the wine that they were using for sacrament. So he told them to make it themselves. Now, 
in our day and age, we don't have to worry about that. You can go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of wine, and you'll be fine. You can buy a bottle of Jack Daniels, too, for a sacrament, and you'll be fine, both spiritually and physically. So, um, but that was, a, that was a, a commandment for a specific time, and I believe circumcision was the same type of thing, where the pure bloodline of the Hebrew people was to be preserved, and women who were married to men who would you know, consummate the marriage, they would see if he was circumcised or not. And if he wasn't circumcised, they knew that this guy was pulling the wool over their eyes, so to speak, and they would not sleep with him. It, You know, and I believe that was part of that whole law of circumcision, which was part of Torah, which I believe, you know, there's certain things that are for a time. Like, for instance, the law of polygamy. It's not always useful when there is a, a very large group of righteous men and women and the ratios are right, then polygamy is not necessary. But in Jacob chapter 2, when it says, and I'm talking about in the Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter 2, um, when it says, unless I choose to raise up a, a, a righteous seed unto myself, it's not talking about population density it's talking about raising up righteous children and the problem is that when there are few righteous men and many righteous females those righteous females want to have children with a righteous male and if there are fewer numbers of righteous men than there are righteous women then God will allow plural marriage by revelation so that he can have his children in the spirit world be born to a mother and a father who will raise them up in the way that they should go. And like I said before, in 2009, the statistics of the LDS church were that there were 127 females for every 100 males. And if you extrapolate that number up into the millions, it gets to be a lot of this like the the balance is way off so why not have plural marriage at this time so these women can have children and raise them in righteousness with a man who is righteous who you know if a woman um, is not selfish now this is an Abrahamic thing and these things are not meant to be easy However, there's a lot to be learned from it, and there's a lot of spiritual blessings that can be had in the situation of plural celestial marriage. One of them being raising your children in righteousness with a man who is righteous instead of a Gentile heathen goyim. <clears throat> anyway, we're on page 183, continuing on with this uh, chapter. Number two, there is one lawgiver and one law. The Apostle James tells us that there is one lawgiver, James chapter 4, verse 12, and therefore there can only be one law. The laws of God are not changeable with the calendar or with the whims of men. There is, there is in one system of law 
there can be only one kind of reward. Two different sets of laws produce two different effects or results. If you plant beans every year and then one year plant potatoes, you cannot expect that you will have a harvest of beans. If the laws of Christ contradict the laws of Moses, then we must be suspicious of one or the other. And by the way, um, Jesus Christ was a Hebrew Israelite who kept the Torah perfectly. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And it wasn't until the Roman pagans hijacked early Christianity that they changed a bunch of stuff and tried to implement their version of Christ, which was not the true version. You know, your Savior was a Hebrew Israelite, and he taught from the Torah. But they hijacked it and made it illegal to keep God's laws, which the early Christians in the Bible continued to do. Paul sacrificed um, for the... uh, uh, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called right now. It's the sacrifice where you don't, you don't cut your hair and you don't eat certain meats. And I can't remember it right now. But um, there were other things, too. Like, Paul wouldn't have died if he wasn't being... Well, it wasn't Paul. I think it was Peter. Wouldn't have died if he wasn't going to Jerusalem to keep one of the feasts that was a holy day of Jehovah and was commanded for time, for all time to be lived and to be uh, observed. They continued to go into the temple. They continued to keep the other feasts and memorial days and holy days of Jehovah. So they would uh, worship on Shabbat and they would rest and they would meet in the synagogues. But then at evening time, on Saturday night after sundown, which was the beginning of the Lord's Day, they would gather as Christians together in their homes. They kept God's laws. And um, just a little plug, if you're interested in understanding these things, please type in 119 Ministries on YouTube and begin to watch their massive library of videos about all of these things. And you'll begin to understand the truth of the Hebrew Messiah. Continuing on. Let's see here. In the last book of the Old Testament, the Lord spoke to the prophet Malachi and said, I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the idolater or the adulterers and against the false swearers and against those that oppose the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, and I change not. Malachi chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. In the Revelation, God affirms eight points of the old law. He also assures us that men will be accountable for violating them, 
and that they will not be changed, then in the last part of the law, the last book of the Old Testament, the Lord said, quote, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I command unto him, commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. And that can be found in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, and we're on page 184 if you're reading along. This certainly indicates that God had no intention of shortly making substitution in his laws or his Torah to Moses. God's Torah was meant to continue without change or deletion. Chapter, uh, point three, God's laws are forever. And it says this all over the place in the Torah. All over the place. The holy days of Jehovah, it says that they're forever. It, it's ridiculous that people can't see this, but let's go into it. Moses gave no indication that God's law was going to be changed. He told the children of Israel, quote, Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law or this Torah. Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. And again Moses wrote, quote, These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God, or Jehovah your Elohim, of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Devarim, or Deuteronomy, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We are, still, we are still living upon the earth, so the statutes and judgments are still binding and unchanged. The Lord also confirmed this by saying, quote, Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and or respect me, is really what that means, and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and their, with their children forever. Um, yeah, forever. Devarim chapter 5, or Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, page 185. The reason these laws, statutes, and judgments are still binding upon men is because they are forever in their nature. These are mortal laws. They govern right and wrong, virtue and vice. God does not suddenly change virtue into vice because of the time zone. The Mosaic Code of Laws is called a perpetual law and is described as such in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and in the book of Joshua, or Yahshua, son of Nun. Uh, let's see here. Oh. Most of the following description of these laws were given by David, quote, the judgments of the Lord, or the judgments of Jehovah, are true and righteous altogether. Psalms chapter 19, verse 9. I gotta say something. It's about that lady yesterday. I'm just, I don't know, I keep thinking about it. Okay, so, when she said Yahweh, I was like, um, that's what the Samaritans who 
came into the land after the captivity happened. That's what they called the Hebrew God. But the Jews never called him Yahweh. And in fact, Nehemia Gordon has discovered over 3,000 documents, 3,000 Torah scrolls or codexes, which have multiple vowel points for Yehovah in them, including the Leningrad Codex, which, which is the codex that the Jews go to to get their proper translation of the Bible. They, they match up their stuff with that codex, okay? And this lady was like, well, they must not have been Jewish. Um, the Leningrad Codex is the codex that the Jews use to make sure their, their Torah scrolls are correct. Now, what's a codex? A codex is a bunch of papyri that are bound together like a book. It's like an early version of a book. Instead of having a scroll, it's easier just to flip to a page in a book, right? Well, even there, there are scrolls which are Jewish, which are kept by uh, the Jewish people, that have the vowel points for Yahovah, not Yahweh. Yahweh was what the Samaritans called the Hebrew God, but not what the Jews called Hashem or their their God. Hashem means the name, and that's the they say Adonai, uh, which means the Lord, or they say Hashem, which means the name, like the name. Um, you know, in place of the Tetragrammaton, but um, there's a, over 3,000 uh, Torah scrolls and codexes of ancient date that have the correct vowel points for Yehovah, which is the name of God. So everywhere in the Old Testament, you see the Lord your God. What that is saying in the Hebrew tongue is Yehovah or the Tetragrammaton YHVH Yehovah Yah Elohim the Lord your God so anyway so the judgments of Yehovah are true and righteous altogether Psalms chapter 19 verse 9 the commandment of Yehovah is pure Psalms chapter 19 verse 8 Yehovah is righteous in all his ways and kadosh or holy in all his works, which kadosh means set apart or holy. Psalms chapter 145 verses 1 through 7. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. The statutes of Yehovah are right. Psalms chapter 19, verse 8. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Psalms chapter 119, verse 140. The Torah of Jehovah is perfect. Psalms chapter 19, verse 7. God's first commandment to Israel was to have no other gods before him 
which simply means that man should not obey any law or commandment other than those which he gave to Moshe or Moses. Christians must believe that the law came from him who changes not and in whom there is no shadow of turning. To obey any different law means to obey a different God. Conversely, if Jesus taught different laws than those in the Old Testament, then he is a different God to whom we are commanded not to and whom we are commanded not to obey or serve. Page 186. So basically, Jesus taught us how to keep the laws of Jehovah given to Moshe by being a perfect example of how we should live. So whenever somebody says, what would Jesus do? You tell them he kept the Torah because that is what he did. And everything he taught came from the Torah. It came from the law of God. Page 186. If the word of the Lord is pure and perfect, then to change it would certainly make it impure and imperfect. If it is perfect, why would Jesus want to change it? Jesus didn't change it. He taught us how to live it more perfectly. That was what he was doing. He didn't give us a higher law. He gave us a higher way to live the law that God had already uh, given. Do not have hate in your heart. And if you don't have hate in your heart, you will not become a murderer. Do not have lust in your eyes. And if you do not have lust in your eyes, you will not become an adulterer, etc., etc. Continuing on, let me see if I can find out where I am. If it is perfect, why would Jesus want to change it? Shaul, or Paul the Apostle, saw no reason to change it, for he wrote, quote, Do we then make void the Torah through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law, which means we live it. We live the law. That's in Romans chapter 3, verse 31. See, when Yeshua, or Jesus, paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane and sealed it upon the cross, he made it so that we could be forgiven of our sins, especially when the time was coming where there wouldn't be a temple on the earth. In 70 AD, it was destroyed. And there was no place to go and give your atonement sacrifices. He also wanted to open it up to the rest of the world to have forgiveness of sins. Well, if God gives us a law and he doesn't provide a way for us to be forgiven for screwing up, then we're all condemned. But his sacrifice upon the cross and in the Garden of Gethsemane was to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven when we make mistakes. And he wants to forgive us. Now, if we're willfully rebellious and we go and we, we talk about grace all the time and we go down that route, then where is the justice of the law? There is no justice when we are willfully rebelling. And there is no, there is no forgiveness in willful rebelling either. We can't rely on grace alone. James talks about works. Works of God are living God's laws and seeking forgiveness when we screw up.
If the word of the Lord is pure and perfect, then to change it would certainly make it impure and imperfect. If it is perfect, why would Jesus want to change it? Paul the Apostle saw no reason to change it, for he wrote, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Once again, we establish the law by living it perfectly or trying to. And when we fall on our face, we get up and we ask for forgiveness and turn back to God and live. By the way, that's what repentance means, too. It means to turn to God and live. All right, and that's Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Every Christian should also endeavor to establish the law, not do away with it, or understand the law and try to live it. So, like the Old Testament, the Torah has the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments done away because Jesus nailed it to the cross? God forbid. He did not. I mean, the churches will talk about tithes and offerings. That all comes from the Torah. Well, that's still applicable according to them. You know, they pick and choose. Well, Jesus did away with that. But not that one, because we need that one to support our churches so we can make money off the people. It's hypocrisy, and it's ignorance. And I'm sorry if you've been raised in apostate Christianity that teaches this garbage. Continuing on, the Reverend Madden says, I am told that sin is a transgression of the law. So what is it? Transgression of the law of God is is what is sin. There's a lot of sin out there that's never been called sin by God, but man wants to call it sin. Anyway, continuing on with this guy's quote, When I hear it asserted that polygamy is sinful, I consult the law... If it be forbidden there, I agree to the sinfulness of it. If not forbidden there, but allowed, I find myself reduced to this dilemma. Either the asserter of such a proposition who says he takes it from the New Testament is mistaken, which is probable, or the New Testament must contradict the law, which is impossible. Because everything that Jesus taught was from the Torah. And that is in... I I have a hard time saying this book. It's it's called... (laughs) Thelifathoria? Page 251. And if you want to know what that book is, feel free to go copy and paste it off of the... You know, out of the book on the internet at ogdenkrat.com, Polygamy in the Bible, um, page 185, I think, or 186. Yep. All right, let's see. Number four, Christ advocated, not abrogated, the law of Moses. If Christ advocated, advocated the law of Moses or the Torah of Moshe, there must be written evidence that he did so. The following quote, Quotations show that Christ did, in fact, teach the law of Moses to the people. Number one, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, 
that and the, that observe and do. Now, what is the seat of Moses? Go look it up on Rabbi Google or Rabbi YouTube and check it out. The seat of Moses was where they sat when they were reading the Torah scroll. So when they were reading the Torah to the people, Jesus said that when they do that, when they sit in the seat of Moses, when they're reading Torah scroll to you, that observe, to do, that observe and do. Now the tradition of the Jews was after they would read the Parsha or the Torah portion, they would stand up and they would pontificate on what was said. And that's when they would add all of their crazy Mishnahs and Talmuds and doctrines and all the junk that they would add to the Torah, which they were told not to do in Deuteronomy, but they did it anyway. And they've got some kind of ridiculous... Because God said uh, the Torah is not so hard to understand. It is not in the heavens that you cannot see it. It is upon the earth. And because of this mistranslation or misinterpretation of Scripture, they actually think that the rabbis are more authoritative than God himself. Which is why God has turned the blessings off to these people. And they still believe that way. They think that if Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori says something, and it contradicts something that Moshe Alim says, or some other great rabbi, well, it doesn't really contradict, because the rabbis cannot contradict Torah, because the words of the rabbis are more important than the scripture. You know, and like some, they'll make it work because they're really good at mental gymnast, gymnastics. It's said that you can have three Jews talking about two verses of scripture and, and have 12 opinions or something to that effect. I know I'm paraphrasing, but it is what it is. Anyway, but that's how they are, you know. Um, and I'm sorry, you know, and I'm, I, maybe I shouldn't generalize these people. But I, I observe it because I pay attention to them and I listen to them. Anyway, continuing on. And I know what they say and they drive me insane. But anyway, continuing on. We're on page 187 for those of you who are reading along with us. Number two, they have Moses or Moshe and the prophets. Let them hear them. Luke chapter 16, verse uh, 29. Three, if they hear not Moshe and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Luke chapter 16, verse 31. So if they're not going to listen to Moses, they're not going to listen to somebody even though he be risen from the dead. For instance, they're not going to listen to Lazarus, you know, he was raised from the dead after three days, or on the fourth day, I think. But they didn't listen to Jesus either. Continuing on. Four. Had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me, but if ye believe not his writings... How shall you believe my word? See, he's saying, go back to the law of Moses, and you're going to find me there. Because guess what? 
I'm the one that wrote the law, and I'm the one that gave it uh, as the angel of Jehovah at Mount Horeb to Moses. Jesus is the one that gave it. Anyway, continuing on, that's in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. 5. Did Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? John chapter 7, verse 19. When the devil came to Jesus to tempt him, he presented three temptations. On all three allurements, Jesus responded by saying, It is written, and then he quoted from an Old Testament law. The lawyers, scribes, and Pharisees were always plotting ways to trap Jesus for not observing the laws of Moses, but in every instance, Jesus proved that he did observe them. In such instances, it would have been the, been the most opportune time for Jesus to say that he came to introduce a new set of laws, or that he did not sustain the old ones. Instead, he advocated the laws of Moses in every instance and rebuked them for not living these laws themselves. Page 188. The functions, and scribes, uh, the functions of scribes have varied considerably, but in general they were interpreting the law for the common people or interpreting the Torah for the common people. Much of their obligation was to interpret the law of Moses so that it could function in the civil and religious lives of the people. The scribe was essentially an interpreter of the law. Scribes were among those who many times challenged Jesus on his statements or conduct which they thought were at variance from the laws of Moses. But in no instance did they prove Jesus' teaching contrary to those laws. Page 189.5 The law of Moses was a schoolmaster. Shaul, or Paul the Apostle, wrote many epistles which Peter said were hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned, unlearned in the ways of the Jews, or Hebraic understanding, and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So if you believe false interpretation of scripture, it means that you believe the lie of the adversary. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, All they who believe the lie receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. And it's the same thing that Peter's saying here. They rest the scriptures because of their ignorance and they believing lies or false interpretations of scripture or Torah unto their own destruction. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. In one of the epistles of Paul, he wrote, quote, Wherefore the Torah was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, 
we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 25. It is apparently the contention of most ministers today that Paul was saying that after faith has come, we are no longer under the law of Moses. If that was what they concluded, then it means that by accepting faith in Christ, we are no longer obligated to keep the laws and commandments of Moses, which also means that all the stuff that Jesus did as an example of how we are to live was all bunk because it didn't matter anyway. Because he nailed it to the cross. But that's not what he did. He lived it as an example of how we should live. And he taught us and the Jews and everybody who will listen to him over the last 2,000 years that are how to keep the law of God perfectly. The problem is most Christians don't know what the law is. And there's another problem, too. There's a bunch of stuff that was added. You've got to have revelation to understand these things. Anyway, continuing on. It is apparently the contention of most ministers today that Paul was saying that after faith has come, we are no longer under the law of Moses. If that is what they conclude, then it means that by accepting faith in Christ, we are no longer obligated to keep the laws and commandments of Moses. By faith in Christ, man could commit adultery, still profane the Sabbath, dishonor his parents, or even murder. But you'd have a problem with all that. That's all part of the Torah, right? If the law is done away with, then we should be able to do whatever we want, except for the fact that God does not forgive willful rebellion. And if there's no law, then there's no way to rebel against the law if it's all done away with. And there is no sin. But that's the lie the adversary wants you to believe. But sin is still sin. Sin is going against what God has commanded. And that's also iniquity. Anyway, continuing on. Any fool should know better than that. Paul was saying that by studying the Torah as a schoolmaster, we are brought to the acceptance of Messiah. This is reasonable and understandable because he had just previously written that cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He had also written... For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans chapter 2, verse 13. So these people who will hear and they'll learn and they'll all the stuff and you know they know all about the law of God, but then they don't live it, they're not justified. Let's read that again. For not the hearers of the law are justified before God but the doers of the law or the Torah shall be justified. And like I said, and that's in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, and like I said, when you fall on your butt, because you don't keep the law perfectly, which is 99.9% of us, 
God made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins by turning to him because he already paid for your sins. It's been prepaid. All you have to do is walk towards God by keeping God's laws. And when you fall and you sin by breaking a law of God, you turn back to God and you ask for forgiveness with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Continuing, he had also written, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Sorry, I read that before. That's Romans chapter 2, verse 13. When you have studied a grammar book of the alphabet and learned how to read, you no longer need the book because you know and understand it. And we're on page 190 for those of you who are reading along. But that does not mean that you throw away the alphabet or the principles of grammar. Paul is saying that when you learn the law or the Torah, it brings you to Christ and you, you are no longer a student in learning about Christ. The Ten Commandments were given to bring us to Christ, but now that we have Christ, it does not mean that we throw those commandments away. Neither are we so foolish as to believe that polygamy was a schoolmaster to show us how to live monogamy. Point six. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the same gospel um, and the gospel of Moses were the same. Shaul, or Paul, wrote that the scriptures of the Old Testament are able to make thee wise unto salvation. See 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If they were able, if they are able to give us an understanding of salvation, then it is because they contain the laws of salvation. No man can be wise into salvation without a knowledge of the laws that govern salvation. Shaul, or Paul, also said that the gospel was preached unto Abraham. See Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. If Abraham was to gain heaven, and Jesus said so, then Paul was teaching the same gospel that Abraham received. See, Abraham received the law, Adam had the law, and Moses restored the law. He restored it. Let's see here. Paul confirmed this by saying, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Some of the children of Israel, he said, that we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul conclusively pointed that the Israelites had the gospel when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians and said, and this is on page 191, or and this quote is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Quote, all passed through the, the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of the 
that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses four through, uh, 1 through 4. Hopefully, I can finish this before I fall asleep. Because uh, I've been up all night long and I am getting tired. But let's see if I can do it. God intended that all men should be judged by the same laws and the same principles of salvation. Point seven. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Christ. The epistle John wrote, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Christ. John chapter 1 verse 17. Was he saying that Jesus Christ did not honor or obey the law? Or did he imply that those who, who had the law of Moses did not have grace or truth? Those who interpret in this way are setting at variance the Old Testament against the New Testament. This has led them into a contradictory and inconsistent maze of disorders. Too often, ministers proclaim the precepts of Christ but fail to realize their foundation was on the ancient law. But God is not so short-sighted as the establishment of the established one set of laws for a long time and another set of uh, for another people and all to be received in the same heaven. Okay, I've got to... Uh, I'm going to get to the next page, but I know I'm going downhill directly. So I'm pre-recording this. It is 8.26 a.m. in the morning, but this will be read at... This will be read later on today. (laughs) Um, By the time you hear it. So anyway, let me just take a break, and I'll probably be right back. Actually, let me try to get to the next page, and then I'll, I'll take a break for a minute. Let's see here. Too often, ministers proclaim the precepts of Christ but fail to realize their foundation was on the ancient law. But God is not so short-sighted as to establish one set of laws for another time and another set of for another people and all be received in the same heaven. Okay, yeah, I read that already. Christ made the atonement for which grace could save mankind from their sins. John merely mentions these two great epochs and the men who established them. Moses gave the law. Christ made the grace of God effective. There is no contradiction. Paul confirms this by saying, quote, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. And we're on page 192, and I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back as far as you're concerned. But it might be a little while before I actually get back to this recording, because I 
am exhausted. So let me take a break. By the way, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're going to get back into reading this. We're on page 192. Let me just find it here real quick. Is the God of the Christians the same God of the Old Testament, or is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob different from the God in the New Testament? There is too much evidence to prove that their gospel was the same. Their laws were the same. Their God was the same. Number eight, search the scriptures. When Jesus told the Jews to search the scriptures in John chapter 5 verse 39, he was referring to the laws of Moses. Furthermore, at the beginning of his ministry, he said, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of the least of these commandments shall teach men and teach men so to do. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. He was again referring to the law, or the Torah, and the commandments of the ancient scriptures. Neither did he ever change his viewpoints after this. He consistently defended these scriptures and appealed to to the people to read them. The Jews watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, but they might take hold of his words that so they might deliver him unto the power and authority of the governor. Luke chapter 20, verse 20. It was evident that on this and many other occasions, the Pharisees were attempting to trap Jesus by forcing him to disagree with the Old Testament laws. They were trying to entangle him in his talk. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. So they could represent him as an enemy of the law of Moses. Page 193. But Jesus defended and admonished them to study and obey the scriptures. He helped to explain, illustrate, and interpret the scriptures, but never contradicted them. In his great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus referred to the ancient scriptures nearly ten times, not repelling the doctrines but rather amplifying them. Point nine, Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ did not fulfill the law by doing away with it. The Ten Commandments were just as much in force after after Christ as they were before. For instance, a man who commits murder has not kept the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause 
shall be in danger of the judgment. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. This does not imply that Christ meant to substitute a different law, nor do away with the law against murder. Christ continued in verse 27 and 28, quote, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. His words, but I say unto you, did not mean he was replacing the law. He was attempting to help men avoid the inclinations of the mind which would result in the breaking of those commandments. By avoiding the thoughts of service or lust or whatever, a man could avoid the acts which led to breaking the commandments. The people were still obligated to, to observe the commandments, but with more dif- diligence. One, uh, page 194. When a young man came to Jesus and asked what he must do to gain eternal life, It was the perfect opportunity for Jesus to explain his new law, if he had one. But Jesus repeated the same old law by saying, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor, as thyself. Matthew chapter 19 verses 18 and 19. These instructions were from the law of Moses. See Exodus chapter 20 and also Deuteronomy chapter 5. The reference of to love thy neighbor as thyself was a quote from the old, the old law of Le, in Leviticus 19 verse 18. When the young man replied that he had done these things since his youth, Jesus gave him a a final requirement about giving to the poor. This, too, was written by Moses in the law. See Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. See also Psalms chapter 41, verse uh, 1. Everything Jesus taught was repetition and of an enlargement upon what he, what had been written before. If Jesus had changed God's law, he would have been guilty of a grosser sin, wherein God had said, Thou shalt not thereto, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish aught from it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse verse 32. See also Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse uh, 2. Sorry. It is for this reason that Jesus could not condemn polygamy nor allow adultery for both taking away... (sighs) 
and adding to the law. I'm sorry. Jesus could not condemn polygamy nor allow adultery, for both taking away and adding to the law were sins. 10. Jesus and the New Testament laws of marriage were the same. The ceremonial statutes given to Moses were not to be construed as a part of mortal or marriage laws. Realistic, emblematic, or symbolic ceremonies have not necessarily a function of the marriage covenant. The offspring and sacrifice of the lambs, and we're on page 195, The offering of of sacrifices of lambs, doves, etc. were made as emblems of the great sacrifice of Christ. Many of those symbolic rituals were typified when Jesus hung on the cross. These had nothing to do with marriages, divorce, or adultery, nor did they have part nor did they have part of the virtue or vice. Animal sacrifices were no longer a necessity because Christ became the final sacrifice. The Sabbath day was no longer the last day of the week, but the first. I don't agree with that, but okay. But this did not change the honoring of the Sabbath as a commandment. Circumcision was no longer a necessity because the promise had been fulfilled. All of these ritual rites and observances could be and were fulfilled and could be changed, but not the moral law. Some argue that polygamy, like these rituals, was allowed by God for the Israelites, but that it was forbidden to the Christians. This argument is no better than to say that the people of the Old Testament times were men and women, but Christians were not. Or if the Christians were human, then what were they before? Sexual sins were forbidden in the Old Testament, just as they were in the New. Christ did not make any changes in moral or marriage laws. When a parent catches a child stealing, they do not allow the child to continue stealing, and then when, the, when he grows up, they tell him it is wrong. Neither did God allow polygamy to be practiced for 4,000 years and then tell them the people were, they were maturing with, ugh, then tell them the people they were matured enough now to stop because it was wrong. I'm almost done with this. I've got a couple more minutes and hopefully I can get through it because 
I uh, I finished the other, re- you know, recording, and I took a break. <sighs> I made my way upstairs, but I know that if I don't finish this, I might not finish this, and I don't know if my wife or my son will be able to read for me, so I'm trying to get through it, so bear with me. We read in the scriptures that we should train up a child in the way he should go. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And to bring the children in the... And to bring up children in the nourishment and admonition of the Lord, according to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The same rule applied to the nation. God gave specific directions for the for the nations of Israel and established laws that were to govern it. When Jesus came, he did not tell them that the rules were changed to be changed because the people were better or educated enough now to learn new rules and and laws. The historian Josephus said that it was the custom of the Jews to have a plurality of wives, a custom that came from their fathers, a custom that came from their fathers. If polygamy were practiced at the time of Jesus, then he would have condemned it. If it were wrong, nowhere did he rejoice that custom. I'm sorry, nowhere did he replace that custom or law with a new law, nor condemn the old law. Let anyone take a Bible concordance and look up the word adultery, and there will not be any single instance where it applied to polygamy in in my part of the Old Testament or the the New Testament. We must understand two points concerning the law and polygamy. The first is that the Old Testament law did not forbid polygamy, and that the second is that the is that the New Testament did not make any changes in those marital marital laws of marriage. The Apostle Paul said, The word of the Lord endureth forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. Which is also what Moses said, Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. If the Christians of today would believe this, they would not become celibate monks nuns and priests there wouldn't be a thousand contending churches 
hermits, lonely widows, or as many illegitimate children. Page 196, or 197. As mentioned in the, the beginning of this chapter, Jesus said that it would be easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one jot or one tittle, tittle to, of the law to fall. Luke chapter 16, verse 17. On still another occasion, he said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth passes, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise be passed from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. A jot and a tittle are the smallest marks that are made across the Hebrew writings. Writings. It would be similar to a dot over an I or a cross over a T. Jesus declares that there will not be that much change in the law. It seems inconceivable that students of, of the scriptures and ministers can think that the whole law has been changed. Okay, and so when I come back on tomorrow, I'm going to be reading the marriage, the marriage at Cana. So, all right. Well, I'm going to check the studio lines right now. The guest call-in number is nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. Thank you for listening. Revelation. Revelation to the Church of Jesus Christ. Revelation given to set the church in order and to establish the priesthood, namely the quorum of the First Presidency, the quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and the quorum of Seventy Apostles, set to the entire world as a witness of the love of God and as a warning of Christ's soon return to this earth along with our Father in heaven. Behold, this day do I begin to communicate to thee by vision, by revelations, that ye may prophesy against mystery Babylon, whose mystery is being revealed, and the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and the deceivableness of all unrighteousness, which is in the hearts of all who subscribe to her teachings and to those who are born out of her bed and are not children of the married wife, but of a harlot. First revelation received 
at 12.30 p.m. on June 15, 2013. I was talking to Brother Mark Lichtenwalpe concerning the keys of the priesthood, kingdom of God, and as Mark was speaking about his vision of our Father in Heaven, and the Father in Heaven laying his hands upon his head, I received the following revelation. I saw Mark kneeling down, and I saw Heavenly Father holding keys in his hand, and I heard Heavenly Father say these words to Mark, Behold my son, or my son behold, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of God and the priesthood, my son, as I gave them to my servant Peter. This I received from my Heavenly Father, from Heavenly Father and I testified that it is true. The vision ended, and I told Mark what I had seen, and I wrote down this divine communication from Heavenly Father. Second revelation received at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 15, 2013. Behold, my son, by mine only begotten was this heaven and this earth formed, and by mine only begotten was my firstborn. And by mine only begotten, even my firstborn Jesus the Christ, was the fullness of the priesthood of the eternities conferred, and the gospel of the eternities past proclaimed through mine only begotten Son. Verse 2. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, saith your Father in heaven. And no man can come unto me except through my Son, and by my Spirit, which causes all men to call upon the name of mine only begotten, yea, even Jesus, who is called the Christ. Behold, this day do I begin to communicate to thee by visions by revelations, that you may prophesy against mystery Babylon, whose mystery is being revealed, and the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and the deceivableness of unrighteousness which is in the hearts of all who subscribe to her teachings, and to those who are born out of her bed and are not children of the married wife, but of a harlot. All who, oh, this is verse four, all who have lifted up their voice against me will I roar from heaven with the voice of my judgment, and I will fill their cups with wrath and indignation from heaven. My son, write and declare these things, for behold, I, the Lord, even Jesus, am the faithful and true witness of my Father in heaven, and, and my words are true. I have drunk of the bitter cup of my father and did magnify my calling and priesthood and did humble myself and am a faithful witness of my father, yea, the first witness of my father in heaven. Verse 5. The work and glory of God is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of his sons and daughters, and this comes through a the atonement and obedience to the laws and ordinances of the eternal gospel, my calling 
and my office of my priesthood is the agency whereby the sons and daughters of God can be heirs and joint heirs with me, saith Jesus the Lord, the first witness of my Father, whose glory is to bring to pass the, the work of my Heavenly Father and to obtain my exaltation through giving my life that many sons and daughters might obtain the inheritance of, of the Father to be exalted and rule and reign as kings and priests. Verse 6. Heaven and earth will run together when Zion has been built. Follow the leading of my, my spirit. Yea, follow me. Mark and Joshua, my servants upon whom rests the power of this priesthood. Amen. So these were received by a man by the name of Joshua Sparks, who lives uh, somewhere close to Ashland, Kentucky. Father's Day Revelation, given June 16, 2013, at 10.15 a.m. in Ashland, Kentucky. My son, you have inquired of me direction. Behold, I do answer thee, and show thee the things thou desirest and seekest. Call to me, and I will answer thee, and by revelation I will reveal to thee my will. Seek ye out twelve men to whom I shall lead thee, and ordain them to be to the priesthood. Yea, set them apart as apostles of Jesus Christ, special witnesses of my Son, whom I shall send to thee, men of truth, integrity, yea, men of faith, who are righteous, who have received a testimony that Jesus lives, for as Mark and you, Joshua, you have seen Jesus with your own eyes. Yea, they too have seen. Yea, and have heard and bear their testimony to the world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 2. For, yea, a marvelous work and a quick work shall I do among the children of men, as I call to those with ears to hear to remove themselves from Babylon and her great and abominable church and to take their place among the church, yes, and be taught the gospel of the eternities and to progress to their exaltation through obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel that belongeth to this priesthood. Verse 3. Seventy men shalt thou ordain, and set them apart as seventy apostles, a special witness that shall be sent into the world to preach the gospel and prepare the hearts of children to build Zion, saith your Father in heaven. Yea, even my political kingdom on earth, and after my twelve and seventy are set in their place, behold, I will establish my first presidency. Yea, and the one mighty and strong, mine anointed, shall begin to, to build again Zion, as, as did Enoch my son. And he shall reign over this, my kingdom, 
till he turns it back over to me, saith the Father. Seeking first my kingdom and my righteousness and establish my church, and I will lead you by my spirit to separate unto me the council of fifty, and I will again establish to restore the united order. Yea, Zion shall be built, preach my gospel, yea, establish my church, for from her ye my kingdom. Even, yea, even Zion shall be built, and I will come to Adam and on Diamond, and there bless my sons and daughters, and they shall receive a crown of life that fadeth not away. Verse 5. For thus saith the Lord, even Jesus, I am the head of my church, yea, that I have built by revelation, and yea, I will cause the building fitly framed together to grow into a holy temple and dwelling place for our Father in heaven. Amen. Revelation given Monday, June 17, 2013 at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Behold, my son, in response to your inquiry, I, the Lord, do... I, the Lord, do reveal to you that my seventies will be missionaries, yea, traveling ministers, set apart as set apart as the word's missing. I don't know what it what it said. It's been a long time since I've read this, but traveling ministers set apart as apostles, 70 apostles. I know that's what it should say. Anyway, yea, even apostles who shall be sent as a special witnesses, yea, even witnesses of my son Jesus the Christ, whose eyes have beheld, whose ears are open to the voice of of the shepherd, yea, whose bosom doth burn within them, as did my disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 2. Lift up thine eyes, and behold, the, the field are white and ready to harvest, and the sheaves of earth shalt thou reap. Yea, even those who obey the gospel, and who come through mine only begotten, the author of eternal salvation, yea, the bright morning star. Verse 3, thrust in thy sickle, yea, begin to build up my church, yea, and my kingdom, my church and my kingdom in the east. So that's Joshua's <clears throat> job. And my servant Mark, yea, mine anointed, build up my kingdom and my church, Yea, lay the foundation of Zion, for this is thy priesthood, and thy keys, yea, build, yea, to build up Zion, the holy city of God, to establish her, to enlarge her stakes, to influence, and her influence in all the earth, as a stone cut out without hands, shalt thou fill the earth with my glory, saith your Father in heaven. Verse 4. Set in order the twelve and the seventy, and I will set in order the first presidency. 
Yea, and thou dost have the keys of my kingdom and power to bind and loose, saith the Lord. And I received those keys when the Father laid his hands upon my head in 2003. So I've had them ever since then, almost 20 years. Verse 5. Go forward, my servants, preach repentance and baptize those who are repentant in my name, yea, the name of mine only begotten Son, confer upon them the gift of the Holy Ghost, and confirm them members of my church. Verse 6, many hearts are ready to receive. Go in power, yea, the priesthood power, for I, your Father in heaven, do command it. So that was the revelations received by Joshua Sparks in 2013 one month after these revelations were received I was commanded to sever the ordinances and um, power or priesthood of all the holy people and that happened in July of 2013 and um, Joshua actually buckled under the pressure that he received from the adversary um, as he was doing his work. He was uh, he was just attacked a lot and he fell from doing what he was supposed to do. Um, I like the fact that Jesus says he's going to set in order the first presidency because uh, I don't want to be in that position. <laughs> I don't believe I will be. But um, I don't know what to say. I know that Zion will be built in the wilderness and that my job is to teach and prepare the people. And the time will come when the church will be set in order. Oh, and by the way, um, God also told me to call it the Church of the Living Messiah. So that is what the church is called today. It's not called the Church of Christ. It's not called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's called the, the Church of the Living Messiah. So that is that has been established. And there are officers in that church, although they are few in number. So, anyway, that's the revelation I wanted to share with anyone, and that was received by Joshua Sparks of Ashland, Kentucky. And the last time I talked to him was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, he wrote me and asked me, what I thought about the pandemic or what he said what does God say about the pandemic and I told him that it would be bad but the cure would be worse and that was in I think March or February of 2020 and I haven't heard from him since so I don't know what's going on with Joshua Sparks I don't know if he got around to doing the work that God asked him to do. I didn't ask him to do it. This revelation was received by Joshua. 
from the Father. So, anyway, that's the revelation. And uh, I'm going to do more recordings and see if I can get more of these revelations out. Thanks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.